Hi and welcome to Wander with me, Barbara Flood. A massive thanks to the Arts Council of Ireland for supporting this podcast. My guest for this episode brings us poetry from the camps of Western Sahara. Sam Berkson, together with Saharawi translator and artist Mohammed Suleiman, put together translations of these Saharawi poems. Their book, Settled Wanderers, is published by Influx Press and is the only anthology of work in English by poets such as Bayabu Al-Hajj, Al-Khadra, Mahmoud Khadri and Badi, amongst others. O citadel of glory, rise up today and come into our reach. We are weary of opinions and speech. Drape anger now over every hymer, for the revolution of the people is never empty of anger. Sam Berkson also wrote a series of poems while in the refugee camps. These camps were half the population of the formerly nomadic Saharawi people live in exile. He initially went out to Western Sahara with a group called the Olive Branch Arts, an organisation in London which has been working for years with various Sahrawi arts and community initiatives. Sam starts off by describing how this particular project developed. While I was there, I said, oh, can I meet some poets? I mean, there must be some poets here. <laughs> and of course, it's a, you know, it's an Arabic culture. Poetry is a really big, important thing. And I was introduced to three different poets. Um, and I, I met with them and they gave me a poem. And I worked with the translators that we had to kind of rough up a translation of what they had said and to re and then I turned them into poems as well as writing some of my own later when I was talking with my publishers about doing a second book I'd, I'd done a book of poems with them and we were saying about doing another one and I gave them some ideas about what the book could be and none of them they were that enthusiastic about and then I said or I suppose I, I could go back to the camps in Western Sahara and you know, write some more poems from there. And they were like, yes, that's what we want. And I tried to find, you know, a, a translator and an illustrator, someone who could help me. And, and so the, they don't have a, an embassy here because Western Sahara isn't recognised as a country, but they have what's called a mission in London. And um, we spoke with them and they said, yeah, we know someone who can help you. And I said, great. And I said, do you know an illustrator? He said, well, he's an illustrator as well. So that's how I met Mohammed Suleiman, who is an amazing guy. He's got really good English um, and has studied literature himself. He's a fantastic artist and involved in loads of different projects in different multidisciplinary ways. Um, and he became my translator for that trip. The drawings are beautiful, actually, the, the drawings on the cover and then inside it. And he did them as well, yeah. So he did them. So, and what those are, are calligraphy drawings. So they're the poem written in Arabic in the shape of the subject of the poem. So the front cover is an image of someone on a camel. That's one of the poems from the book um, as in the shape of a camel. You know, there's, there's other, and there's, uh, you know, of, some portraits of activists who are mentioned in the poems that he's, he's done in calligraphy. 
now. So it's really beautiful stuff here. You can order the book, Settled Wanderers, directly from Influx Press. I'll put a link in the notes here too. Here's Sam reading Arrival, one of his own poems in the book. At midnight in Tindouf Airport, an ununiformed unofficial of an internationally unrecognised government hands us a form in Spanish, Arabic and misspelt English on which we record our entry into RASD, Republica Arab Sahawari Democratica. That night a dog growled and barked and whined itself hoarse at a waning full moon among the sand brick houses grating its gravelly throat like a broken moped trying to start, a choking complaint continually unanswered while the stars dance over the Sahara. So, yeah, so I think it was just this sort of feeling of like being taken into this place that um, we knew nothing about like growing up here is never reported and yet and here's a whole country in exile of sorts you know half the population of western sahara live in exile in these refugee camps and they um you know and have built and been there for 45 years now so they built quite a lot of infrastructure it's and continually in continuing to exist despite everything and you're right in the middle of the desert and you learn from people of the desert that the desert has many aspects and many features i mean that's why the book's called settled wanderers because they are originally a nomadic people um or peoples really it was only um the europeans who came over and divided up the continent of africa who gave this idea of this territory in the first place but the land that they carved you know, a sparse population because it was desert landscape and it was groups of nomadic peoples mainly pastoralists and uh, presumably fishermen as well uh, because of very rich fishing on the coast of western sahara um but you know so they, they were goat herds and camel herders who lived organically with the desert and and probably the best way to live in a desert is nomadically right you go from where the water is till the water dries up then you move to the next part of the desert and and in fact this is perhaps what you're going to ask me about is what the early poetry records a lot of it does uh is about um about the land and has a sort of social function even to remember where the waters are to record you know the journeys that these people would take and the movements at different times of the year and and very linked with music is is that was that a pretty big feature yeah like the 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 word for poetry and the word for song are the same in the dialect of hassaniya they speak so the peoples of that land are you know uh they they're hassaniya speaking when hassaniya is a dialect of arabic it's a kind of roughly kind of 80% similar to Arabic, but has its own set of words and its own dialect and its own pronunciation. And it doesn't have a written language. So although it can be uh, written, transliterated into Arabic letters, 
there are certain sounds where there isn't a standard spelling because they have slightly different sounds from anything that's in Arabic. Yeah, because it's interesting. One of the poets, and I can't remember his name, he writes in Arabic. Mahmoud Hadri. Um, yeah, that's right. Because yeah. it's interesting that the Arabic-speaking world mightn't have adopted them as much as they might have had in terms of getting published. And, and I don't know, what do you think about that? Is, is there any more movement on that, or is it still kind of the same? Yeah, I think they've been struck by this problem um, of being a kind of minority language within Arabic-speaking world. Um, plus their conflict, which perhaps listeners know about, but we're probably going to talk more about, is with Morocco. And Morocco is another Arabic country, so it's an inter-Arab conflict. And generally, the um, Arab monarchies side with Morocco, which is also a monarchy. So that means the Gulf states who have quite a lot of power and a lot of control over publishing and um, the newspapers and, and the books that come out in Arabic are tend to be hostile to, to Western Sahara. It also has a kind of, it's got caught up a little bit in um, Cold War politics that Western Sahara was seen as part of the communist bloc. Uh, not that I don't think they, they saw themselves that way. It was just about who supported them and who didn't. You know? um, so there's, and, and as there's not that much of that remaining, you know, they haven't got as many allies anymore. You know, at times, certain times, depending what, what how Gaddafi was feeling that decade, you know, Libya was supportive of them. Um, Algeria has been supportive of them up to an extent. Um, but as the sort of, the, 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 like the more socialist element of the Arab world has kind of has faded, there wasn't as much support, I think, for them within the Arab world. And the countries that do support them now tend to be... Uh, the more socialist countries like Cuba has offered quite a lot of support over the years. Venezuela's offered support. Um, yeah. So, uh, so I think the, the combination of political differences and the fact that they're in an Arab, the conflict with another Arab country has meant that they, their cause hasn't really been taken up as a more general Arabic issue. I think always as well, like traditionally, peoples who don't have their own state you know it wasn't as clearly defined maybe because like as you said they were nomadic and the area mightn't have been as clearly defined and there's loads of different groupings within it it's they don't seem to get the same amount of sympathy or support as like something that was very solid nation state or a king state yeah no that's true i think um and one of the one of the great achievements actually of the Sahara, um, Sahrawi resistance was the formation of themselves as a people, like in the in the seventies of saying, okay, we're going to abandon uh, differences of confederations and different groupings, and we are one people. You know, we are the people of the desert. We are the Sahrawi, and we are um, united in our cause to to achieve independence originally against the Spanish. Yeah, I wanted um, you to read actually one of the poems, Anger of the People, maybe just as an example of, of the kind of poetry. But you do say in your introduction, you know, that a lot of people in the West might find it very um, hardcore, like kind of 
blunt or very political you know we're kind of used to different kinds of poems here and i love that quote i wanted to say it actually about how um the chuck d one <laughs> oh, i said the poetics are more in common with chuck d than seamus heaney did i say that i thought that was good because it, it's true as i was reading it i was going yeah this is this is um you know ode to the land rover and you know very um explicit calls to to resistance yeah. And the published poetry over here has been about not being ideological, about not being political, about not expressing an opinion on things almost and being objective. Um, I actually quite like Seamus Heaney, so I don't know why I picked him particularly. But, um, <laughs> the, no, <laughs> but especially if you go to like creative writing courses, you will be told not to express an opinion on things, I think. You know, show, don't tell, describe etc and don't be committed whereas their poetry is very politically committed um yeah and and uh so essentially like that poetry that i was talking about underwent a massive change when the war with morocco happened um do you want me to read this poem or shall i carry on yeah well yeah actually yeah yeah the is a tent Oh, so this is a, a poem by Mahmoud Hadri who you you mentioned before who's one of the few poets who writes in arabic and in an attempt quite explicit attempt to try and get his poetry outside of Western Sahara to the rest of the Arabic speaking world. O citadel of glory, rise up today and come into our reach. We are weary of opinions and speech. Drape anger now over every Haima, for the revolution of the people is never empty of anger. In 1975, Spain left Western Sahara, so it was very late in terms of its independence. Most of the region had been independent by then, and Western Sahara had, um, had you know, been declared as a. They, they declared themselves as a people, and under the, you, you know, united under the Podesario, which was the front for the liberation of um, Western Sahara and they you know they'd had their intifada where they had been um the first intifada which had been brutally put down and included you know with the french helping out with the spanish and so on so they had been they were determined that they were going to get self-determination they were going to get independence and they were going to get um a referendum on it which is what they were promised but of course deals were cut behind their back and after franco died with spain uh, the territory was granted to Morocco and Mauritania and the two of them invaded from different sides and they and they fought a war of resistance against them and the poets immediately changed what they did and suddenly you have this flourishing of poetry the same composition that very strict um, half lines and a rhyme at every half line and very particular ideas about rhythm and rhyme and so on that most oral poetry does it follows particular um, rules um but now they were talking about revolution so where they might have been celebrating land or the beauty of of women or or of wars or whatever that had previously been fought now it was all about what was going on now so this poem that you want me to read was about Amatu Haida who was uh imprisoned three times by the Moroccan authorities 
for her parts in the first and second Intifada. And she was released in 2005 and in 2008 received the Robert F. Kennedy Prize for Human Rights. So it's by Bashir Ali. If all women and men had taken the road of Amanatu Haida, all they would have achieved, the sum of their deeds, would not have reached even the top of her sandal. She sacrificed everything in selfless love for her people, gave up her money, her comfort, her family for the cause of liberation. Surely you've seen this, the work of Amanatu. Do not just rank her against other women. Show me a man who can match her. Tell me if you can of an example, living or gone, who has done what she has done. I, for one, have never found any, nor have I heard of anyone who knows of someone to measure against Aminatu. Wa shahiditu bima alimtu, and I bear witness to what I know. She's just been coming out today, you know, she's still alive and she's been writing about what's going on now because once again, uh, war has broken out again or conflict's broken out again. And that's meant that within inside the occupied territories, the prominent activists are being harassed by Moroccan authorities. And she's been publicly writing to the UN saying something's got to be done about this. So for I think for a long time the young people there have been very frustrated and they've they've really like held off from getting involved and have felt um have done everything they can in terms of spreading the word internationally, trying to get support. The people inside the territories have done some amazing and very brave demonstrations against the occupation there. which is very much a police state, you know, the way that they're their police there and any expression of Sahwari nationalism even raising a flag could get you in trouble people have been disappeared people have been sent to jail uh, for long stretches for not very much you know so but despite that there have been protests within it and the people on the camps have also tried their best to spread the word and raise awareness of the issue um, but you, you know and and all, through all that time like they never kind of got used terrorist tactics or you know very much the people I spoke to were very clear that like their fight was not with the Moroccan people it's with the Moroccan regime with the occupation so when you went over the second time um there was a poem you wrote tea with Beobu mm. so sadly Beobu passed away a couple of years ago um, so I met him as an old man, but he is quite an amazing character. And, you know, so he was one of the first poets that I translated on the first trip. I came back and, um, you know, I came back and met him again and got more poems from him. So tea is a big part of the culture. And this tradition is that you have three cups of tea with a guest. And the first one is very strong, is bitter like life. The second one, sweeter, that's sweet like love. And the last one is a bit weaker, and they say that's soft like death. The billows pump the coal. 
Frankincense floats lightly through the four-doored tent, open at all sides to chance breezes or wandering strangers. Squares of light across the carpeted floor hint at that glass-top glare of the engulfing desert that swallows vast swathes of the continent. But here, enclosed in cooling gloom, we are pitched on the edge of the settlement, where sand-bricked camp meets expanding Sahara, and goats and camels pick about the rubble on the frontier, penned hundreds of miles from the land the poets used to sing of the other side of a wall and landmines and diplomatic impasse. The flies flicker and fuss busily, tea is poured and re-poured from cup to cup, the ceremonial liquid strong and dark, glasses clatter on metal tray, bitter like life. The tea is the generosity of Bayabu El Hajj, fourth generation poet, but once a camel herder in Spanish Sahara like the rest of them. He was nearly 50 when the Moroccans came, moved out in the night when the soldiers stormed their homes. They escaped east to exile, carrying little more than a head full of memories. 80 if he's a day. He talks with a vigour and energy that stirs the room to life, apparently undimmed by the years. People watch him. His wife, working the billows, watches him, casts a look that is proud but mindfully does not overstretch himself. His grandson shyly shuffles in and clamours for attention. He sprawls in his lap, pulls on his ears, watches him, flashing two rows of milk-white milk teeth and unconcealed affection until he leaves at his grandfather's orders. We sweep up the teacups, pass them back, and for the second time his wife pours the brown liquid from cup to cup in sweeping arcs, heading each glass with a froth to sift the sand and dust, enriched with sugar, freshened with mint, sweet like love. He has the gift of laughter. He speaks in slow, guttural hassaniya, considers and weighs his phrases, winds up towards the breathy punchline that breaks us all out in laughter. He slaps hands with everyone, and another tea is poured. His poems stripped King Hassan's rhetoric and mocked his naked intentions. They breached the berm, they roared through skies, no SAM could touch them. Now in time of theoretical ceasefire, when demonstrations are besieged and battered and broken behind global media silence, after decades of underweight and undernourishing food aid, at a time when civilian settlers are rearranging borders, after remaining as exiles unmoving through the years while UN workers serve their time and envoys come and go, his poems bring laughter keep memory alive, enliven our tea talk way past the third step in this familiar ritual, tea drained to the dregs, just a taste on the tongue when there's nothing left, soft like death. such an amazing person to me you know when you you know even though you know i was working as somebody who didn't speak the language i was having to work through interpreters which isn't ideal of course um uh, it, you could just tell you just from the way he spoke that this was a person of 
you know great importance of great character and people used to say like you know had such a love for him i think and such a respect um on the camps so yeah i'm very very honored to have met him and to have and, I, and it's amazing that we did it you know that we recorded some of his poems in english because these are oral poems you know that's like what the what the process would be I meet him, I talk with him, he kind of gets a sense of who I am, and we've gone through the the hospitality and all of this stuff that must happen, and then he, he agrees to do a poem, which we recorded on a you know an audio device, and then later that evening, Muhammad would write it down in Arabic, and then we'd go through the poem, you know, and and then work out what everything was saying, what word meant, what this word meant, what that word meant, the con, you know and um what the context was what the the connotations were and then i tried to rewrite it as an english poem i would feel bad in a way that i'm doing it as somebody who doesn't speak the language but as nobody else has translated them into english like at least i've sort of opened the way for somebody who has got a better like you know knowledge of the the language to go and do it again yeah i found that amazing that this is the only first first translation of any of these poems yeah, as far as I'm aware, yeah. yeah. Obviously, you you kind of have to be careful when you're, you know, that you're not speaking for people, you're not appropriating their stories and that kind of stuff. So I'm just wondering, how did you approach that? How did you center their experiences? Obviously, you're a witness to them, but how did you manage to, to balance all that? I just tried to be as open as possible and and to try to learn as much as I could um and to stop myself from thinking I understood something when I didn't necessarily yet know you know so it was just as much as possible I tried to to meet as many people as possible to listen to them um to try and like take part in life there you know, as, as as much as I could, really, um, just because, you know, because I knew it was always going to be imperfect as a project, but exactly what you're talking about was the thing you had to avoid. So the more you know and the more humble you are, the more open you are to learning from others, the less you're going to be doing that, I think. One of the great features of Settled Wanderers are the biographies of the poet Sam Met. Like Hussein Mo'ulud Muhammad Salem, who told him that poetry is a means to carry on the struggle. And Najm Saeed Ola, who was born in Osar camp and is writing a Saharawi Iliad, with each section 40 lines long, one line for each year of the struggle. He also met Hajutu Aliad, who has written several poems about women activists and who had to leave the occupied zone where she was born and moved to Osar camp because of poems she'd written about political prisoners interned in Morocco. And perhaps one of the best known of the Sahrawi poets, Al Khadra. One of the first parts I met was Al-Khadra, and Al-Khadra is uh, another of the kind of older generation of poets. And time when I met her, again, a very powerful person when you when you met her, and, you know, tall and imposing, and despite her age, was very, like, 
uh, one of those people that you like really left an impression on me as like Bearboo did and um she had been a poet from 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 quite young i think she said she learned the poetry from people around her just imitating songs and so on and never written them down she composed it in her head which is amazing to me and remembered them and um but they called her the poet of the rifle you know she's very much like poems are about war she said to me um all my poems are for the revolution so i've actually got a recording of al khadra reading Oh, you invaders, you who seize the home which the owners never asked you to take. Know that colonizers have come since the days of Rome, seeking subordinates they never could make. Ambitious kings have claimed our land as their own and found a resistance too strong to break. And now you say, sitting on your throne to the reflection in your crown's polished jade, there's a small nation, internationally alone, I think I'll move in and invade. <laughs> When we heard him, our army was well prepared and hurled themselves fearlessly at him. The king of Rabat had roused their ire and they went out to snatch then his painted crown and his gilded chair and the weapons his retreating army abandoned and they used them then to breach his berms behind which his army cowered while they attacked him. They derided the tactics which he had prepared and the support of Ronald Reagan who backed him. Machines of destruction ruined beyond repair, his army fled like rats then. Shoo, shoo, little rats, into your hole. Your donkey king will never forget it. He'll no more say with that arrogance of soul, here's a small nation, I'll go and get it. These are the deeds that our army have done. Oh Allah, protect this heroic army. <laughs> The other one I've got is recorded is from another old poet called Buddy who died in November 2019 and this in many ways was my favorite poem that I translated uh, it was um I met him and we did the same thing we talked and so on and then he said to me give me a poem <laughs> so I gave him a poem that I had written and I in English and I said Charlie explains to him about it. I said it was, it was called Ode to the Bicycle I said it's about like choosing a simpler form of transport rather than 
you know, wanting to drive cars and, and etc. And he said, he went, great, yes, poets have always loved the simple life, he said. And he gave me this poem called Tishwash, and it contains like, this is what that translation poem's about, really, is about, it contains all these words that have now been forgotten in the language. Like he speaks a different language from his daughter. You know, she, she says to me, I didn't understand all my father's poems because it, his words refer back to his time as a desert nomad and they contain the knowledge of the desert, not the language of the camps. Um, and Tishwash is a word that's a Hassanir word that means roughly nostalgia, but perhaps more like the pleasure of remembering things that are past. All that has been has gone. How great the living and everlasting God, but how beautiful this scene is. I see it sometimes, no particular place, just there with the goats, like those nights I spent at the mouth of a well making the wet sand my bed, enchanted by night's music, the howl of wild dogs and insects whine. Or in the watering season, when the wheat is still to produce its seed, I am there in the midst of the life of the camp, doing some little thing about which you do not need to ask. Well, there we are, travelling in the dark before dawn, from one stopping place to the next, the only sound the swishing of camels' tails before the sun has risen to our eye-line, walking on to those first lucid hours of the day when the desert's features are clearest, knowing both rocky valley and the smooth. And there again is the taste of tea, flavoured with a herb called dye, in water sourced from the valley floor after the rains, or scooped from pools on concave rocks where a river had run before, when we were moving our camp from a dried-up well where the only firewood left was no better than kindling, and I can smell that animal hide next to the spit and see the clean bones beside that hide. How come, my brother, you do not remember this, the sweet life full of living, it is no longer with us, and if Tishwash could bring it back, it would add Tishwash to the Tishwash of my Tishwash. The late poet body with his poem, Tishwash. Thank you so much, Sam. I'm, I really, really appreciate it. The work you did, first of all, and for talking to me. And thank you. Brilliant. Oh, thanks so much, Barbara. Huge thanks to Sam Berkson for bringing us the poetry from the Western Sahara.
If you want to find out more, the Olive Branch Arts in London has a good website with loads of links. It's olivebranscharts.com. And I thoroughly recommend ordering a copy of Sama Mohammed Suleiman's book, Settled Wanderers, from influxpress.com. Wander, produced by Barbara Flood, funded by the Arts Council of Ireland.